Thanks for joining us for another great message from Futures Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to futures.church. And now for our message. Well, we're going to come around the Word today. And um, we're actually going to start a new series today. We're going to start a series we've titled, I Have a Conviction. And... uh, It sounds like I'm I'm confessing something, but I'm not. (laughs) Uh, I have a conviction. And we wanna talk about the types of convictions that we carry in our hearts. The type of convictions we carry in our hearts. Now, on occasion, when we start a new series, uh, Pastor Josh will will share with us um, uh, what he's feeling on his heart from the Lord for the church, and, and we'll discuss it as some campus pastors. And so we did that with this series a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, I just really feel that for our church to focus on, I have a conviction. And so we started discussing it as a campus pastors, and I remember feeling quite challenged when he first presented it. And the reason I felt quite challenged is I thought, you know, we don't often really give a lot of thought or intention to what actually are our convictions. You know, sometimes they tend to sort of lie underneath the surface there and maybe they uh, come up from time to time depending on the situation. Or, But, you know, I realise myself that I don't really stop that often to ask myself, what are my convictions? Now, there was a couple that I could identify straight away. Like, you know, there was, but as I went on through the week, I realised that, oh, no, I have a conviction here. I have a conviction there. I have a conviction about this. And, and I found it a very interesting exercise to go on. And I wonder, if I was to ask you, what are your convictions, what would you say? Would you be able to identify them quickly? Are there something that would come to mind? Maybe a few would, but I wonder if we ever really stop to ask ourselves that question, what are my convictions? But I would say it's actually a really important question to ask. And the reason I say that is because when you think about it, the convictions we hold have a huge influence on the way we live our life and the way that we view the world. Ultimately, it's our convictions that define what we believe, direct how we act, and determine what we prioritise. Let me say that again. It's our convictions that define what we believe, direct how we act, and determine what we prioritise. And so certainly as followers of Jesus, it is important to consider what are our convictions and also be open for God to adjust them or tweak them as needed in order that we continue to grow to be like Jesus Christ and so that we can be effective witnesses for the kingdom of God. Now in the Bible, there's a book, you'll be familiar with the book of Ephesians. It's an awesome book in the New Testament. Uh, Although we call it a book, it's actually a letter, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to what were fairly new believers in the region of Ephesus. And one of the purposes that he wrote this letter to them was to help them continue to grow in their relationship with God and in their spiritual maturity. And a part of this letter, he says this about the subject of convictions in Ephesians 4 verse 14 to 15. He says, then we will no longer be immature like children. In other words, immature in faith. He says, we won't be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, 
we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. And essentially what Paul was saying is that one of the signs, one of the signs that you are maturing as a Christian is that you move from being a person of preference to a person of convictions. So let's take a moment to look at the difference between convictions and preferences. Now, I'll just let you know, today I'm really just gonna set a foundation for this series. Over the next couple of weeks, uh, uh, Pastor Josh is gonna share and others, we're gonna talk about this morning and night, but I really just wanna set a foundation so that we sort of start from the right place and, and hopefully have an open heart for God to speak to us. So firstly, let's define what is a conviction. For the sake of this series, what are we talking about when we talk about a conviction? Well, a true conviction is something that you are convinced is true or something that you are so convinced is true that you're willing to continue to stand for it regardless of the consequences. So a conviction is something you are so convinced is true that you're willing to continue to stand for it regardless of the consequences. So an example of this might be if you're an ethical vegan. Right? So if you're a vegan and you're like, I don't eat any meat and I don't use any animal products because I have a conviction that that exploits animals, right? So that's a conviction that someone might hold. Now, in contrast to that, we have preferences. Now, preference is something you may lean towards, but that you could be convinced to change your mind on depending on the circumstance. So let me say that again. A preference is something you may lean towards but you could be convinced to change your mind on depending on the circumstance. So using a similar example, in, in that case, uh, someone with a preference could be a flexitarian, <laughs> where they, like, they, they, they choose not to eat meat, except on some occasions they might. <laughs> so simply, let's, let's, let's make this real simple. A conviction is a principle we hold that is immovable, whereas a preference is something we hold that is movable. Are, are, we, are we with me? So conviction is something we hold or a principle we hold that's immovable, but a preference is something we hold that is immovable. So what Paul's wanting to encourage us is that one of the signs that you're moving from being immature in faith to being mature in faith is that when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, that you move from seeing his teachings as simply a preference to instead becoming a conviction that you cannot be moved off of. Now, in the Bible, an example of someone who had a conviction like this would be Daniel. Right? So in Daniel chapter six, uh, we read that Daniel was appointed as an administrator, as one of the administrators over 120 provinces that existed in Babylon at the time under the king named Darius the Mede. And it tells us that, that Daniel, in his role, he had proved himself as better than all the rest. Like he did his job to the absolute best. And because he did his job so well, he found favour with the king. And so the king was planning to then promote him and put him over the entire empire. But as can sometimes happen, some people got jealous of this and they didn't want that to happen. And so they decided that they would try to discredit Daniel and so that he didn't get this job. And so they tried to look through his life and the Bible says that they could not find anything in his life to discredit him. And so they're like, you know, we've got to come up with another strategy here. And so they decided that the only chance they have of finding grounds to accuse Daniel of something was to 
find something in connection with the rules of his religion. And so they come up with this scheme. They thought, this is what we'll do. We'll go to the king and we'll say to the king, you should make a law that over the next 30 days, no one's allowed to pray to anyone but you, king, alone. And so that's what they did. They went to the king and they convinced the king to put this law in place. And so that's what they did. And they said to all the people for the next 30 days, you're not allowed to pray to anybody else. You're only allowed to pray to the king. And if you get caught praying to anyone else, you'll get thrown to death in the lion's den. Now, this law came to Daniel. He heard this, but he refused to obey it. Instead, he continued to do what he'd done every single day, which was to go home, go to his upper room, open the window towards Jerusalem and pray. He did this three times a day. And the reason he did that is because he had a conviction. He had a conviction that, no, I'm not praying to anyone but the one true God. But it tells us that they saw what Daniel was doing and they went and told the king. And the king, when he heard what Daniel had done and knew he'd broken the law and knew he had to throw him in the lion's den, the king didn't wanna do it. I mean, this is like his best worker. He doesn't wanna do this and he tried to get out of it, but he knew in the end he had no choice. And so they took Daniel, they threw him in the lion's den. And we know how the story goes. The Bible says that God closed the mouths of the lions and Daniel lived. And in fact, it says this, that the next day when the king saw that he was alive, the king made a new law. And it stated that everyone throughout the kingdom should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. And because Daniel stuck to his convictions in the face of possible death, a whole nation was impacted. Amen. Now, as we go through this series, you're going to hear from some uh, different people in the morning and the evening who are going to share some of their own personal convictions. And many of you will resonate with them. Many of you go, yeah, I've got that personal conviction too. But there also might be some personal convictions they share that you don't resonate with, that, that are not yet your own personal convictions or that you feel different about. And I wanna say this, that's okay. And I say that because I appreciate that all of us are on a journey and we're all in different places on that journey. And convictions can be things that tend to evolve over time. Often our convictions can be a result of our personal experiences, maybe a result of our backgrounds or our upbringings or our personal bias or our internal passions or our external influences and many other things. However, as Christians, we have two added places that our convictions can come from. And I would say should come from. The first of those is the Word of God. For us as believers, the Word of God, it's not just a book full of cool stories. It's not just a, a record of historical events or you know, just a, a, a piecing together of some great philosophical ideas, but the Word of God is the ultimate truth and every word in it is inspired by God. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realise what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. And so what's in the Bible, it, it's the greatest truth that you can ever find. 
And it's so true that it trumps absolutely everything else. And the Word of God is so true, in fact, that Jesus told us in Matthew chapter seven that you can literally build your life upon it. And it will hold you so strong that even in the worst storms that can come in life, you will continue to be able to stand because His Word remains forever. His Word is truth. And here's the thing, if that isn't the case, if His Word isn't the truth, then we might as well pack up and go home right now because this is a waste of time. But because we know it's true, we keep praising, we keep gathering, we keep coming together because we know it's changed our life, amen? What's written in the pages of the Bible is the true Word of God. I believe that. And I believe that as Christians, it should influence our convictions more than anything else because anything else is a lesser truth. It's the greatest truth. You know, one of the convictions I hold and that we hold as a church is that there is only one way to heaven and that's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if I was to post that on social media, if I was to post, there's only one way to heaven and that's through Jesus Christ, who knows, that would probably ruffle a few feathers, Because right? that's not out there, that's not a popular opinion. Right, for instance, if you were to ask a Buddhist, how do you get to heaven, they would tell you that heaven is accessed through a state of enlightenment. If you were to ask a Muslim, how do you get to heaven, they would tell you, well, heaven is accessed by performing good deeds and actions that are pleasing to Allah. If we were to ask a Hindu, they would tell you that heaven doesn't even exist but that after death, if you've done the right things or lived a good life, then you'll experience a certain reincarnation. If you were to ask just a person on the street, how do you get to heaven? They might tell you, well, you get there by simply being a good person. And you know what? Personally, I wish that all of those were true. I wish that there was multiple roads to get to heaven, but I have a conviction in my heart that there's only one. And the reason I have that conviction is because that's what the Word of God tells us, right? It says in John 14, verse six, it tells us that Jesus said Himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is why, church, this is why as a staff, each and every week we get together and we pray for souls. This is why over the last month after our 5 p.m. service, we've had over 150 people in this room praying for an hour, praying for souls, interceding for people to connect with Jesus. This is why we are passionate about planting more campuses. This is why we gave into our Heart for the House offering. This is why at the end of almost every service, we have an opportunity for people to connect with Jesus because we have a conviction that you cannot get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. And we believe that the Word of God is truth. Amen. So it's become our conviction. You know, another conviction I have, which comes from the Word of God, is that when it comes to the body of Christ, everyone has something they can contribute. All of us have been blessed with a gift, a talent, an ability, not for our own gain, although it might bring that, but for the gain and blessing of others. When it comes to the house of God, I don't believe that the Bible teaches that only a few should help out. 
but I believe that all of us who are physically able are called to do something. None of us are called to be consumers. We're called to be contributors. And when we all contribute, that's when the church shines its brightest and is most effective. It was never meant to be 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. It was meant to be all of us contributing something and moving the church forward through the favour and grace of God. And why do I have a conviction about it? Again, because that's what the Word of God teaches. It says in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, it says, each of you have received a gift to use to serve others. Be good servants of God's various gifts of grace. And even Jesus Christ himself, he said in Mark 10 verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If it's good enough for Jesus, surely it's good enough for us. So as Christians who wanna grow in our maturity, grow in our Christ-likeness, it's so important that the key place that our convictions come from is not the internet. It's not our friends. It's not even our family. It's not our workmates. It's certainly not the news or social media. But it's the Word of God. Amen? And so the first place our conviction should come from as Christians is the Word of God. But then there's also a second place. A second place our convictions should come from, or should I say a second person? Because the second person that our conviction should come from is the person of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's one of the Holy Spirit's jobs in our life. It says this in John 16, verse eight. It says, and when He comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, it's important to know that there are two ways that the Holy Spirit convicts us. The first is He will convict us of the sins that we are committing against God. Now, the way that I have experienced the Holy Spirit does this, convicts us of our sins against God, is that He, he tends to put inside of us this nagging feeling that we need to make a change. That this nagging feeling inside that we need to either stop doing something we're doing or start doing something we're not. And it's like that nagging feeling, that unrest remains in our heart until we do it. Now, it's important to know that when the Holy Spirit does that, when He convicts us like that, it's not to bring us shame or guilt. It's actually to steer us towards what He knows is best for us. He loves us so much. He loves you and He wants you to experience the best that God has for you. In fact, Jesus said in John 10, 10, it says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And it's this rich and satisfying life that the Holy Spirit wants you to experience. And so at times, He will come to you and He'll come to me. And He will say things like, hey, Tony, you know that thing you've been doing? That's probably not the best thing for you to keep doing. It's not good for you, and it's not pleasing to God. And it's actually causing you to miss out on the rich and satisfying life that Christ has laid His life down for you to experience. And so if you'd allow me, I'd love to help you make that change. And I know if you do, that it will really bless you. 
Now, the thing about the Holy Spirit is he is incredibly gracious at doing this. Because <laughs> the thing you need to know about the Holy Spirit is he knows everything about all of us. He already knows all of the places where we fall short. But he's so gracious. He doesn't just come up to us and say, all right, here's this, I've been examining your life and here's the list of things that you need to work on, right? And we just then feel so overwhelmed and so ridden with guilt and shame. Instead, here's what he does. This is how gracious he is. He just picks out one or two at a time. And he's like, you know what? I think it's time that we have a look at these couple of things. I think maybe if you just made a little change here or you considered dropping that or picking this up, it's really gonna bless your life. It's really gonna benefit you. And here's the other way. He, he's not only gracious, he's incredibly patient. <laughs> because he will wait and he will give us time to make those changes. And he's gracious in the fact that when we get it wrong the first time or the second time, or the third time, or the fourth time, or the sixth time, or seventh time, and so on and so forth, he's still there saying, hey, let's try again. Let's try again, I love you, I want the best for you. Let me help you, lead you to a rich and satisfying life. So the first way the Holy Spirit convicts us is that he convicts us of the sins that we commit against God. But the second way the Holy Spirit convicts us and we perhaps, we probably don't talk about this as much, but the second way he convicts us is by placing personal convictions in our heart. By placing personal convictions within us. Those things that are necessary for us as individuals to hold in our heart that help shape and mould us in a way that is necessary for each of us to be able to carry out our God-given calling. Now, What's important to understand is that each of us have a specific and unique calling. And what that means that there are times when the personal convictions he may place in our heart can differ. There may be a personal conviction that, he, that the Holy Spirit has given you that he hasn't given the person next to you. Or there may be a personal conviction that he's given to the person next to you that he hasn't given to you. Now, when that happens, Sometimes it can cause some friction. <laughs> For example, if you have a strong conviction about something, but then the person next to you doesn't share that strong conviction or at the same level as you, it can cause some frustration. You can get confused. You might even get upset. And sometimes the result of that is you're like, right, I'm gonna force my conviction on that person. I'm gonna force them to come over to my side and have the same conviction that I do. But it's really important, especially, and hear this, especially when the conviction we're talking about isn't clearly addressed in the pages of the Bible, that we avoid doing that. That we avoid forcing that conviction on others. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this very thing in Romans 14, verse one to four. It says, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. 
for God has accepted them. You are to condemn, sorry, you are to condemn, who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Come on, Holy Spirit, help me out. I can, I can go back right to the very start. Should we start looking? No, 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 I'm gonna joke, right? <laughs> who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. And then he says this in verse 10, he goes on, it says, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the Scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Now, so what Paul's saying is that there at times... At times, there will be things that one person has a conviction about that another person doesn't. And in that case, when it happens, or in this case, that was around food, different food, but what he advises, when that happens, when there's a differing of personal conviction, don't let it cause a rift between you and that person. Instead, recognise that at the end of the day, each individual is personally accountable to God. And if there is something they're not doing, or thinking or saying that isn't in line with God's heart or that the Holy Spirit has spoken to them that they're ignoring, well, one day they'll have to give an account for that. But that's between them and God. So instead, you just worry about what the Holy Spirit's spoken into your heart and allow them to worry about what the Holy Spirit's spoken into their heart. But what you don't wanna do is try to force your personal conviction onto someone else and in doing so, do something that might cause them to stumble or fall away from God. And then he goes on to say this in Romans 14, verse 18. He says, if you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. So if you hold a personal conviction, but someone around you doesn't hold that same conviction, before you react, before you get upset or frustrated, just take a moment to stop to remember, first of all, where did that conviction come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. And then understand that just as the Holy Spirit has placed that conviction in you, or just because He's placed it in you, doesn't mean that He's yet placed it in them. And that's okay. Because guess what? If He needs to, He will. He'll speak to them about that. In the meantime, let's aim to keep harmony and keep trying to not tear each other down but build each other up, amen? So let me give you an example of, this, of what this might look like in real life. So when I was a young adult pastor many years ago, occasionally there would be couples in the church that would choose to live together before they were married. Now the Bible doesn't specifically talk about not living together before you're married. It talks about not having sex before you're married. It says that that's a sin, but it doesn't say that living together before marriage is a sin. I'm just triggering some convictions right now. <laughs> However, as a pastor, as a pastor, I have a personal conviction from the Holy Spirit that living together before you're married is not a good idea. Why? Because often, if you play with fire, you're gonna get burnt, right? 
putting herself in a position where it is so much easier to cross a line and fall into sin is dangerous, and it's not a great witness to other people either. Like, you may have the self-control to not cross any lines before you're married, but someone else might see what you're doing, copy what you're doing, but they don't have that same level of self-control, and they end up falling into sin, and then you've caused a brother or sister to stumble. Now, as a pastor, I cannot force you to have that conviction. I understand that I have to leave that up to the Holy Spirit. I, I can advise you, I can share with you what I've seen happen in other couples. I can encourage you to make maybe decisions that will better protect you from crossing a line that isn't good for you, but I can't force you to take that conviction. I have to leave that up to the Holy Spirit and I have to pray that maybe He might use our conversation or something that's been said to personally speak into your heart and give you a conviction about it. But if I was to sit down with you and I was to have the attitude, right, I'm gonna force you to do it. And, and, and because it's my conviction, so it's gotta be your conviction. Well, first of all, that conversation is probably not gonna go that well, right? But secondly, it's not really gonna be your conviction because you're only gonna take it on because you're fearful of what might happen if you don't. So we can't force our personal convictions on others. Now, there are some exceptions to this. For instance, if you're a parent, then as a parent, you might have certain convictions you hold that will impact what your kids do or do not do. For example, as a parent, you might have a conviction that your children are not getting a mobile phone until they're 18. And all the youth said, are you serious, right? But you might. As a parent, you might have a certain conviction around alcohol and so you don't allow that into your home. As a parent, you might have a conviction about where your children go who they hang out with, what they watch on TV. Or you might have a certain conviction in your family that no matter what, we go together as a church, as long as you're living under my roof, we go to church on a Sunday, right? And so as parents, our convictions end up setting certain boundaries for our children. That's why it's so important that we share what our convictions are with them. However, when they grow up and when they become adults, now they're in a place where they have the liberty to choose what their convictions are. And we wanna pray that they choose to adopt our convictions, but we can't force it on them. At the end of the day, they get to choose. So what we're saying is this, is that there are certain circumstances, such as, as, when you, as a parent, where you can expect those you're sharing your convictions with to adopt them. But in most circumstances, such as in the relationship with your Christian brothers and sisters, we need to understand that we can't force our convictions onto each other. Now, we can certainly share our convictions and we can discuss our convictions and we can share them with passion and we should. I think that's important, but ultimately each of us has to decide what our convictions are and it's between us and God. And so maybe the team could come. So here's where I want us to land for week one. As I said before, as we continue this series, different people are gonna share from this platform different convictions that they hold, as well as different truths that the Bible speaks about. And when you hear these things, you might recognise that you, you don't share all of those convictions. 
if that's the case, here's what I wanna encourage you to do. And I'm, I'm committing to do this too. I just wanna encourage you over this next month, just keep your heart open. Just keep your heart open for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. To speak to you about what are your convictions and what convictions He wants you to carry. For some of you, He might give you some new convictions. For some of you, the Holy Spirit might tweak or adjust some convictions. For some of you, the Holy Spirit might say, I want you to drop that conviction. But ultimately our heart is to become more like Jesus, our Saviour that we celebrated and we thanked in communion today. And so I just wanna encourage you, no one's gonna force a conviction on you, but I would encourage you just to keep your heart open to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Let the Word of God speak to you truth and let the Holy Spirit Whisper into your heart. Be open to hear from Him. But my prayer this month is, search my heart, God. Search my heart. If there's something in me that that doesn't align with your heart, then help me to grow. Help me to adopt that conviction in my life because I wanna live for You. You laid down Your whole life for me. And I want my life to bring glory to Your Name. And so that's simply my encouragement to you today. Keep your heart open. Allow Him to speak into your life. Tweak, adjust, mould and shape us so we can live out this rich and satisfying life that He desires us to experience. It's only for our good. It's only for a benefit of our marriage, our family, our business, our career. Just be open. And you know, this might bring up some conversations between one another. And it might bring some, trigger some things inside of us too. And if it does, can I encourage you? I'm gonna try to do this myself too. Let's remain humble. Let's remain soft towards one another. Let's remember we're all on a journey. And maybe what the Holy Spirit's spoken to you, He hasn't yet spoken to them. Or maybe what He's spoken to them, He hasn't yet spoken to you. But let's not fight, let's not cause rifts. But let's honour our God by encouraging one another, praying for one another and lifting each other up. Amen. I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you and inspired you. You know, we may never have met, I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about Him, He loved you. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to lead our life in a way that finds answers and finds the peace and finds the joy we're looking for, but we come up short. But God knew that you needed rescuing, that you needed saving, that you needed His love. So He sent His Son, Jesus, to come and pay the price for our mistakes. He lived a perfect life, but knowing we couldn't, He said, I will take their place. So He died and rose again so that His death could pay the penalty for my mistakes in my past and His life could make a way so that I could have life. I believe that when you believe in what Jesus did and when you invite Him to be Lord of your life, you can experience forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, 
purpose and life like you've never known before. It's not about what we've done or who we're not. It's about that we have a God who's good, who can turn things for good and loves you. He's a father, he's a friend, and you can invite him into your life today by simply saying this prayer after me. I'm gonna say this prayer and wherever you are, wherever you're watching around the world, pray this prayer with me. Maybe you once knew God and you walked away. You know what, maybe he's getting your attention today to say, come back into relationship with me. Maybe you've known religion, but never a real genuine relationship with God. Why don't you say this prayer too? And I believe this can be the beginning of a great new day. Let's pray. Dear God, Thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I pray you forgive me for my past and you walk with me into my tomorrow. Let me know your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, your purpose, your joy and your hope into my life. I ask you to lead me and guide me from this day forward. Be Lord of who I am in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace, and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace, and the Word of God go with you from this day forward, and I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey, why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus. We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you, and we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.